Well, we're wrapping up a series. Uh, if you missed any of the series, it's been a great series. Um, I think God has done a really lot of challenging steps for our church, for us as individuals. Uh, the concept is what it looks like to fire on all cylinders. And if, if you're a gearhead or you like to get in a car and start it and it actually runs, like you understand that if your, your car is not firing on all cylinders, you're not getting the horsepower you need, you're not getting the productivity you need, you're not doing the things that you wish your car would do unless you fire on all cylinders. And that's kind of the theme of the series. Like in week one, we talked about this, this cylinder of growing. And we believe the mission of our church to meet people where they are, help them take their next step with Christ, is an intentional growth step. You never grow accidentally. You always grow with intentionality. So recognizing we have a next step and there's people in our lives we can help take a next step with Christ. Week two, we talked about grouping. Like that's a big, big cylinder. We can't become all that God created us to be individually. We grow in community. We grow when we push each other and encourage each other and correct each other. And when we work together to grow, man, community is big. Grouping is big. Week three, we talked about serving. We used the illustration where Jesus was with his disciples and said, listen, if you want to be the greatest, then you pick up a towel and you serve. You take on the humble position of a servant. And I would encourage you, if you're not serving anywhere at Crossroads, This is a great season to be serving. There are lots of places where people can serve, where you can start out entry level, like, hello, hold the door, open it up, or you can jump right in, pray with people, and everything in between. Lots of opportunities to serve, and we want you to take that step to grow in your faith by serving. Last week, we talked about giving, and it's really a touchy subject in church world. Like, people get funny about money, but the truth is, we're never more like Christ than when we give. God so loved the world. God so loved me. His first response was to give his one and only son. So, man, we want to be a church that's intentional about being generous and giving, which brings us to today, the last cylinder we're talking about, the cylinder that's kind of um, maybe a little more simple, and while oftentimes it's so simple, we overlook it. So let me just flash flash back um, to to my past. So earlier this week, uh, my oldest daughter moved to college. Uh, That was beautiful. Um, you know, people say things like, you know, have kids. It's fun. Kids are great. You should have kids. They don't tell you things about like, hey, 18 years later, when she moves out of your house, you're going to fall apart. That was a joy. So this week, like as we're packing up her room and preparing to move her away to college, like we came across this, this little invitation. This is my baby. The invitation of her graduation open house, which just seemed like a couple days ago. And now she's out of the house probably forever. Morgan, I love you. Call me. And in this invitation, like, it reminded me, like, of this cylinder we're talking about today. Like, what does the church have as a responsibility to invite people in? Because oftentimes it's easy for the church, and COVID pointed that out real clear. It's easy for the church just to worry about my four and no more, and let's protect what we have, and let's hover around what we have, and let's forget about reaching out when Jesus tells us to go and to preach and to share the good news. What does it look like to really invite? So I'll flash way back to eighth grade year. Like, there's not many things I remember about eighth grade because it was a century ago, it feels like. But if you've been an eighth grader, you raise an eighth grader, like, you know the awkwardness of eighth grade. Like, you are on top of the world except for the fact where you fail to realize you're on top of the middle school world. And shortly, you're going to be a freshman in high school, the bottom of the food chain. Am I right? Like, there's a reality disconnect there, but you're young and you don't know. So for me, eighth grade was a pretty fun year. Like, eighth grade, I grew like five inches in a year, like, Good luck fitting shoes and jeans, mom. Like, it was a rough year, but also a pretty fun year. And I'll remember, like, one of the highlights was my first, like, big party. Like, where a whole bunch of people were going to be there. It wasn't just me and my three friends going to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, it was a real party. Some of our friends, they had a whole group that had a birthday in the same month. 
So eighth grade there, they all get together, like, let's just have a big party. So they rented a building next to the school. They, they like, rented all kinds of, like, food and games and stuff. They hired a DJ. Like, this was as big as it gets when you're in eighth grade, like, the big party. One of their moms took the time and, like, made and created these personal invitations. <laughs> personal invitations to be able to hand deliver to each of their friends. And it was cool because I was friends with everybody having a birthday party that month. So I was excited about it. Like I talked my mom into going shopping, got the fresh gear for the party. Like the time rolls around. There's months of anticipation. We get to the week of the party and I started to get a little bit nervous because I hadn't gotten an invitation. Like I was excited about it. I had my attire for it. I was ready to go, make an appearance, have a good time. This was it. As an eighth grader, this was the event of the year. And I hadn't got an invitation. And I did my best to put my brave face on, like, it's cool, it's okay, I'm not going to say anything. But on the inside, like, it was nerve-wracking. Like, it kind of tore me up a little bit that, that this was this cool thing happening, this exciting thing happening, this, this, this is where you needed to be, and I didn't get invited. Now, before you feel too sorry for me, like, I recovered um, it was actually a really cool story. So I'm at the football game on Friday night. One of my friends were watching the football team, and he's like, hey, man, I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, you won't. He ended up, like, handwriting an invitation. He was one of the birthday guys, handwrote an invitation and gave it to me. So I'm, like, carrying a napkin into the party. Like, no, really, it's real. He invited me. I got to go to the party. I got to experience it. But, but I, what I realized in retrospect was that happens a lot in the church world. I mean, for this situation, like, because everybody knew me, because I was friends with everybody, but not super close with one more than the other, no one thought that it was their responsibility with their fixed amount of invitations to make sure that I got one. So I was, I was overlooked. Somebody else assumed that someone else would give me the invitation, and what it really felt like was no one cared enough to make sure that I was going to be there. And while you might write that off and be like, you were 13, like, get over it, man, move on, I would argue as adults, we still get kind of in our feels when it comes to invitations. You know, when, if, you, if you think you're supposed to be at something that was an invitation only and you don't get invited, it's easy to get some resentful heart attitude in there. It's easy to kind of get upset with someone. And on the other end of that, like when you realize that you invited people to a party, birthday party for your kids, whatever it was, and you forgot to invite Uncle Bill, like you feel bad. And, and maybe there creates some tension in the relationship to where like you got to apologize and you got to try to make up for it. Like, it's, it's a real deal because I think that deep down, like, worked into our DNA is this invitation culture that Jesus built into. Jesus was all about inviting people in. He told parables and used illustrations about inviting people into parties. He talked about these conversations and invited people to come be with him. Like, Jesus was all about invitations. And I think the problem is, as church people, we do the same thing that we did as eighth graders. We assumed that someone was going to invite them, that it wasn't going to be me. We assume that maybe someone else would make the offer, the invitation. We assume someone else would care for them. And what it really turns into is we often come out as, communicate, I just don't value you enough to make sure you got invited. It's not like a, a hypothetical stance. I mean, this happens all the time. A couple years ago, we had a young lady that was coming to our Sunday night high school events, and she was just, and she was loving it. She was new to church. Her parents really didn't have a home church to go to. So after a few weeks, her parents show up on a Sunday night just to check out what their daughter was so excited about. And the service was great, and afterwards the parents came up and mom and dad have a conversation, and they are so complimentary, like, your, your people are so kind, they're so inviting, they're so welcoming, our daughter loves it here, it's so great. And then this mom says this thing, which she intended so much to be a compliment, and at first I took it as a compliment, she said, you guys are the best kept secret in Kokomo. And I was like, oh, that, no, 
That's not, no, I, I don't want to be the best kept secret in Kokomo. If, not because of who we are, but if we believe that Jesus is who he is and the freedom and the life change and the dead to life that comes with following Jesus, we need to not be a secret to anyone. People need to know this is what we're about. This is who we're for and we're for you. And man, it was like a, a, this, this eye-open experience to me of sometimes that's where the church is comfortable to live. Well, we're just a really good kept secret. We do good things in the community, we're, we're good to people, we're inviting, we're welcoming, we're friendly, we're all those good things. Church, can I tell you, if we're going to fire on all cylinders, we've got to be willing to share the, the life change that happens as part of our church because of our Savior. We've got to be willing to share the transformation and the power and the goodness and the grace of our Savior. We've got to be willing to share that and shout it from the rooftops. And sometimes we just assume that someone else is going to do that. If we're going to be the church moving into the next season of life, we've got to be intentional about invitations. To reach people that no one's reaching, we're going to have to invite people that no one's invited. To reach people that have stepped away from God, we're going to have to have conversations to invite people back in. To reach people who feel like they don't belong in a church gathering, we're going to have to put all that aside to say, you are invited here. Inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Inviting people into my inner circle to grow in their faith with Jesus. Inviting people to take a next step with Christ. Inviting people to move from death to life. Inviting people to find the freedom and the healing that comes as a side effect of following Jesus. We get to make the greatest invitation ever offered. And we should be filled with joy and excitement about getting to present that. I mean, we've heard the excuses before, right? Like we, we, we know what people are going to say, so sometimes we build a case. You know, I'm going to ask them to come to church, and they're going to say something like, church isn't really for me. Or I'm going to ask someone to come to church, and they're going to say, this is my favorite one. You know, if I walk in the doors of a church, I'd probably get struck by lightning or something. Like, yeah, that's how God works. Like, good luck with that. But we hear the excuses, and here's the challenge. Most people far from God didn't come up with that excuse on their own. They heard it or interpreted it because some church folks kind of projected it on them. I remember growing up, one of the churches I grew up at was a little bitty tiny church. and We had a, a couple guys that were just kind of the leaders of the church. And one particular guy was like front door, front and center every Sunday morning, nicely pressed suit. Like that's where he stood. He greeted every single person, knew every single name of anybody who walked in the door. And I loved it. And I loved the fact that he dressed up. Like I think that's really cool. My grandpa was one of those guys. Every Sunday morning was a suit day. And I'll never forget this one morning as a youngster, not too many people my age at the church, I would often find myself running around outside. I sweat a lot, and it was always like 78 because of all the people that like to have, you know, no air conditioning bills. So I remember outside hanging out one day, and, and this gentleman, he's, he's shaking hands, welcoming people, shaking hands, welcoming people, and this, this guy approaches who he didn't recognize. And you could tell he didn't recognize because he, he went out to meet him. Like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And this guy comes in, um, I'll just say not wearing a nicely pressed suit. Looks like maybe he just got off his shift at work, and it was a really physical job, and maybe he had some odor along with him. Like, you could tell the guy was a hard worker. So my gentleman, he walks out in his, rest, in his suit. He grabs him by the hand. He pulls him in tight for a good firm handshake, grabs him by the shoulder. They exchange a little dialogue. I'm like, that's so cool. And then the gentleman who was walking up the first time, yes, he turned around and walked back out to the parking lot. I thought, well, that was an odd exchange. So the guy comes back up to his post, grabs his door, starts greeting people in again. Somebody approaches him. Hey, man, I saw that. Everything Okay. And the guy says, no joke. I told him, hey, this church, we wear our Sunday best for Sunday morning church. You need to go home and change. I was like, are, are, you, are you kidding me? Just, just a couple years ago, right here at Crossroads, South Campus, there was a family that came in for the first time, sat right over here, came and sat down early, like got here way before most other people did. 
They sat down, had a good time. A lady approaches them. I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're going to, I'm watching from back here. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to welcome them. You're like, hey, welcome to Crossroads. You guys new? Because, you know, Crossroads, we don't get here early. We get here late, so you must be new. <laughs> and then pretty soon, like, the whole family gets up, and they walk right out those doors. And I'm, I'm watching the actions happen. And actually, somebody else kind of, like, chases out after them, and I'm still within earshot. And they have this conversation, like, hey, you guys okay? It looks like you're headed towards the exit. Everything all right? And the, the guy speaks up and he says, well, actually, we were sitting up here at the front. It's our first time at church. We really don't have a home church. And this lady approached us and told us that we were in her seats and we needed to move. Now, I hope, church, I hope that those are rare, but I can't think that that was what Jesus was about. Jesus was constantly inviting people in, making people feel welcome, going out of his way to show love and grace and appreciation, even calling people out in their sin. He did it in a way to where people felt loved and cared for, like this is an invitation to have a conversation with someone I don't know but who's about to change my life. Like church, we got to be a church that's intentional about inviting people in and then making them to feel welcome. To be firing on all cylinders means we got to be Answering the call of Jesus to invite others in, offering an invitation, inviting people to join us, inviting people to be in my circle, inviting people to know Christ and to take their next step with him. We have to be a church that's an inviting church, an invitation-minded church, an invitation-minded culture where we know this is just who we are. Everyone's welcome. Throw open the doors, shout it from the rooftops. rooftops. You are welcome here. Let's be that church. Be that church that invites people in. So if you're taking notes today, just a couple thoughts on what it really looks like to invite people in. Number one is real simple, and it's actually something that we overlook. Number one is this, we invite God in. Now, now understand this, like there's a disclaimer here. We're not going to put together a plan and a strategy and a mission and then go out and put things together and be like, oh yeah, God, can you join us on part of our mission? That's not it at all. God invited us into this, and we're on his mission So when we're inviting God in, what we're really doing is asking God's guidance and God's presence to be known, to be felt, to be seen, to be understood. It's asking God, please help me to see the people who need to know you. It's asking God, give me a heart of compassion for the lost, to not just worry about my four and no more, but to see the people who need to know you, who need to experience your love and grace. It's asking God, give me the grace to speak to people like Jesus did in love and with truth. It's asking God, listen, you put me on this mission, and sometimes I'm not intentional about following your lead. So, God, I'm inviting you in to be the guide, to be the person who leads for the Holy Spirit to to take me down the path and to orchestrate the conversations, the invitations, and the transformations. There are thousands of reasons why we as believers, we aren't good or don't like to take the step or take the risk of inviting someone in. They typically revolve into three categories. Um, I don't know them well enough. Um, I don't think they're going to come anyway, or I just don't care. And while we would probably never say at least the third one, our ability to be able to internalize what an invitation should look like but not project it out is really like saying, I don't care enough about you. I'm okay if you go to hell. Like we would never say that to someone, but our lack of invitation is communicating. I don't care enough about you to steal you away from hell. And Jesus called us to be invitation-minded, to be aware of people that are far from him and welcome them and invite them in and give up my seat for them and give up my spot for them. And it doesn't matter what they dress like when they came, it's the fact that they came because Jesus is inviting them into a relationship with him. God is all about inviting people in. 
I believe that there are people in your world right now and people in my world right now that God has placed you in this season in their life to offer an invitation that could change their eternity. And we just got to be bold enough to follow God's lead to say, come on, you're invited. There's this incredible scripture where, where Paul, Paul writes so much instruction to the church about things to do, things to correct, and things to do better. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And he gives some really instru- simple instruction about prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. And we sometimes, Christian folks, we are really good at praying for our people. Paul says, like, this is what God told me to say, pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Verse 2, Paul says, pray for authorities and kings and rulers and overseers, that we may all live at peace. And then verse 3 says this, this prayer is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand truth. We have to get out of the mindset about our four and no more and understand that there is a lost and dying world who God wants to save. And he gives it to the church. Here we go. Here's your mission. Go invite people in. Bring people in, bring people, not just to a church gathering. We're not trying to grow numbers at a church. We're trying to grow the kingdom. We're trying to change eternities. We're trying to set people free to bring them from death to life. What a powerful invitation that we get to have. Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus while Jesus walked the earth, after Jesus had died, resurrected, and gone on to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit down. And because of the power, the whole, the power of the Holy Spirit working in Peter, Peter did some amazing things. He preached sermons and thousands came to know Jesus. And he also writes letters. And Peter's, Peter's letters are amazing to me because Peter is like a little bit ADD, like boom, 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 boom. Just nuggets of information, and then he gets serious for a minute. And then nuggets of information in this one particular letter in 2 Peter chapter 3 Peter's speaking on Jesus coming back. Like, it's a little bit more random, but he's speaking on Jesus coming back. In verse 9, he says, the Lord isn't being slow about his promise. Like, understand, Jesus is coming back, but it's not like he's delaying. It's not like he's a liar. He says this, as some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Jesus is holding out on coming back because he wants more people to know him, to experience him, to have life and, and bring to life and have eternity with our Heavenly Father. He's holding out because Jesus wants to save everyone that he can. God wants no one to die. And our responsibility as believers is to share that truth, to share that love, and to share that grace. But, but how can someone be saved? Like it's, it's such a kind of a, a crazy statement. Like here's where we start. Invite God in. God, help me to see who I need to invite maybe you already have somebody in mind, like, God, help me to see opportunities to invite them. Maybe for you, you don't know Christ yet. This is a great prayer for you to begin with. God, help me to know who you are. God, help, help someone to come into my life that helps me know who Jesus was, that they maybe can lead you to Christ. The reason that we are in the place that we're placed is because God's got plans for you to make invitations. And it starts with pray for them. Pray for God to break your heart. Pray for God to give you an opportunity. Pray for God to give you a name. Pray for God to open your ears and your eyes to someone in your world who needs invited in. Action step for point number one is the question, who do I need to pray for? Who do, who do I need to pray for? And if I don't know who that is, God, show me who I need to pray for, that I might invite them in. God, I'm inviting you in to be my guide. Show me who I need to pray for. Number two is this, we invite people in. The church was never intended to be an exclusive club where you have to qualify to get in. You, you can join us. You can be with us before you believe like us. You can belong here and be part of the community who learns to trust, who learns community, and then 
maybe lets down some of the hardness of the heart to know that Jesus really does love them. We can be a church that welcomes people into relationships and then invite them to know Jesus. The church was built to be, more, the church was built to be much more like an emergency room. Our doors are always open, and the hurt and the lost and the broken and those who have lost life can find new life, find healing, find restoration. Jesus created this church to be the emergency room that we may meet people, know people, introduce them to the Savior. For me and for you, like if if you know Jesus, you know it wasn't your perfection that let Jesus invite you in. It's in your brokenness that Jesus invited you in. And because of in my brokenness, Jesus invited me in, I can invite broken people in as well. I can be passionate about seeking the lost and inviting them in. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus is speaking and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call, I have not, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We get to invite people in because we were broken and Jesus still invited us in. So we invite people in. I love that, that, that excitement that comes with a new believer who puts their faith in Jesus. Like it's a, it's a big stir of their heart. Like, man, I, I, was, I was addicted and then I found freedom through Jesus. Guys, come with me. Or I was broken and, and now I'm restored. Guys, come with me. Or I was lost and I was dying and I was on a path of dead end. And then Jesus gave me purpose and he fulfilled my heart. Guys, come with me. I love that passion we see in new believers and then somewhere along the way, it's like the, old, the longer we're a believer or maybe the mature we think we are as a believer, the less excitement we have to invite others in. I don't think that that's a symbol of, a, of, of maturity as a believer. I think that's a symbol of complacency as a believer. Like, like our responsibility is to continue to invite. The more mature I get in my faith, the more I know I'm broken and I need Jesus. And that should excite me to bring others in to a relationship with him. So, so what's stopping you? It's crazy. There's all kinds of statistics. Uh, Church Health Report, Health Report Survey says that somewhere between six and eight out of ten people invited to a church gathering, big group, small group, backyard cookout, whatever, six out of ten, depending on the season, or eight out of ten, depending on the season, will say yes to an invitation to join someone or meet someone at a church gathering. Listen, 80% was better than most of our grades growing up, and we're not even really to take the assignment. Like, there's a real good chance you're going to pass. We just got to be willing to take the assignment. In a couple of weeks, we got a whole bunch of small groups that are starting off. We're going to launch this series, this Awaken series, and it's going to be a really cool concept of understanding how God created me to be in personal relationship with him and all the attributes that we get to have is that in that relationship with God. It's great for a new believer, but it's also going to be good for the mature believer. Like These are great ways to invite people in. We're going to launch all kinds of small groups, another avenue to invite people into relationships so that we can grow in community and in group. What a great opportunity to invite people in. But here's the disclaimer. This is where I think we get stuck in church world. If I can invite someone and get them to a church service, it's a win. That's not the case. Getting someone who's outside of the, of the faith system into a service, a small group, a church setting to watch online, that's not the win. Being part of a church doesn't save you. Jesus saves us. So my job isn't expired. I don't win just because I get someone to show up. If we want to get people to show up, we'll give away free pizza and people will show up. We want people to know the Savior of the world. When Jesus recruited his disciples, you could make a pretty good case for his invitation was, hey, come check this out. Come and see for yourself. Come take a look. But Jesus knew that that wasn't the win. The win was come and follow me. 
come with me. Come and spend life with me so I can invest in you, so I can grow you, so I can pour into you, and so that I can save you. So the action step is simple. Who, who can I invite to join me? It goes further than just opening the doors and welcoming people in. It's saying, you know what, I've got this circle of growth, and I've got this circle of discipleship, and I've got this circle of life, and we're going we're gonna to do this life together. But you know what, for you, I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to invite you to join me. I'm going to invite you to join me in my row. I'm going to invite you to join me in my circle. I'm going to invite you to join me for a cup of coffee. I'm going to invite you to join me in our backyard for a cookout. I'm going to invite people into this context of a relationship, inviting people into church, inviting people into a gathering, inviting people into my home to encourage them, to love on them, to care for them, to show people Jesus. September 9th, great opportunity to invite people in. That doesn't mean hold out till September 9th. You can invite people today to go get coffee and start talking about faith. But September 19th, the couple weeks leading up to it, we're going to give you some invitations. Not my daughter's open house that's over. We're going to give you some invitations, and I'll say it like this, some personal invitations. These aren't mailers. These aren't stick this in somebody's door, knock, and run away. This is me personally inviting you. Here's the church campus I'm going to be at. Here's the service I'm going to attend. Here's the door I'll meet you at and buy you a cup of coffee. Here's where we'll sit, and we'll sit together, and I'll sit with you as to take the edge off to let you know if we get struck by lightning, I'm going down with you. It's a personal invitation because I know that each one of us knows someone who needs to know Jesus. And until we take that personal, until we take that responsibility personal, somebody else will invite him. Now, Jesus put you where he did because he wants you to give the invitation. He put you where he is because he wants you to give the invitation. Number three, we invite people to know Jesus. Now, listen, there's, there's some pastor problems that are out here, so let me just confess some pastor probs to you today. As a pastor, I've been a pastor for about 17 years, and as a pastor, as the pastor of the family, as the pastor of the extended family, um, anytime a big group of people get together and want to do, you know, like pray before a meal and stuff, like as a pastor, I'm always nominated. It's amazing. Um, so, you know, you're sitting together for the family reunion, Uncle Bill's like, hey, Pastor Luke, why don't you uh, pray for these here fixings we're about to eat? And I'm like, yes, Uncle Bill, I will pray. And my magical prayers will turn Aunt Mary's biscuits and gravy into health food. Like, come on. It's like, it's, it's a gimme, like, or you walk into the wedding, like, the wedding rehearsal and the, the father of the bride's like, we've got a pastor in the house, he should bless our meal. Can, can I just throw out a couple thoughts? Um, number one, you're not punishing me to pray, like, so don't think, ha ha, I got you, pastor. Like, no, I, I actually enjoy praying, so thank you for the opportunity. Um, and number two, God hears my prayers just like he hears your prayers. Like, sometimes I like to do accents, but I don't turn on my pastoral accent to pray so that God will hear me better. Like, God hears your prayers just the way he hears my prayers. Pastor problems, y'all can pray too. And the second problem that I think we understand or misunderstand is that we think that if we can bring people to church, that the pastor will lead them to Christ. Now, that's great. It's awesome. If you've ever been part of a church service, we, we had a really cool service here this week, and people gave their lives to Jesus, and it was a really cool experience to be a part of. But the only place that people can give their life to Jesus is anywhere. You don't have to be at a church to give your heart to Jesus to, to come to know Christ. It's convenient. Like we got lots of good support when you give to, your life to the Lord in, in, at a church. It's convenient. It, it would be convenient if you died at a funeral home. Like just push them right down the hall. That would be great. But convenience isn't always what's best. In fact, the church is going to be much more effective about reaching the lost when we go to the coffee shops and we go to the locker rooms and we go to the practice sessions and we go to the break room. And we share Jesus and invite people to know Jesus in the context of our relationships and the locations that God has put us. The only requirement it takes 
to, to help someone to invite them to know Jesus is that you've already found him. It doesn't take pastor in front of your name, longtime believer in front of your name. If you know Jesus, you can invite someone else into that same relationship. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives what I think is the most detailed description of what church leadership should look like. It's real simple, a little, little snippet. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Their responsibility, church leaders, is to equip God's people to do the work, his work, and build the church up, the body of Christ. My responsibility as your pastor is to build you up, to equip you, so that we can do the work and build up the church. My job isn't to do all of the work. My job isn't to lead every single person to Christ. In fact, you're going to reach people I'll never have a chance to reach. You're going to reach people that our staff will never have a chance to reach because God placed you there to be a pastor in your circle to help people find Jesus, know Jesus, and take steps with him. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. Like, if you've ever been part of leading someone to Christ, like, there is not many experiences like it. Like, it is a, it's a thrill. I mean, heaven says that when a sinner repents and comes to put their faith in Christ, all of heaven throws a party. That stuff's contagious, man. I would encourage you, like, there is a great risk to reward involved here. If I ask someone and they say no, what happens? They said no. If I ask someone and they say yes, all of heaven throws a party. You get to be part of it. And what an incredible opportunity to lead someone, to invite someone in to know Jesus. The joy and excitement, the life change that happens whenever believers are gathered gather together and they lift the name high of our Savior, great things happen. We can't keep that a secret. We've got to be willing to share it and invite people and, and move from complacency to compassion. I just want people to know the same Jesus I know. I just want people to know the freedom and the healing and the great things that my Savior has offered me. So let's keep it simple. In your notes, short little journey. If you've never led someone to Christ before, this is a great little template. Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, and he gives some real simple steps on, hey, this is how we do it. He starts out like understanding, look, God created everything, and he created you. And his highest priority with you is to get to know him, to be in his presence, to know him. But Romans chapter 3, verse 23, everyone has sinned, and we fall short of God's glorious standard. It's sin. It's wrong. It's unloving. It's the thing that God said don't do because it's not what's best for you. It's that very thing that separates us from the presence of God, that disqualifies us from the presence of God. And unforgiven sin will separate us from God for eternity. It's a real deal. Sin separates us from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages, for the payment, for the restitution, for, for what sin costs is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin just not only separates us from God, it leads to death, but God offers life, a free gift offered to us through Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The work has already been taken care of. Jesus paid the price that I deserve. Jesus took my punishment that I deserve. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and offered his life as a ransom so that because he loves us, I might be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can walk someone into a relationship with Jesus, the Savior of their life. 
All we have to do is invite them into a relationship with Jesus. It's the biggest decision that you'll ever make. But it's not the only time you make the decision. Every day is a decision to follow Christ. Every day it is a decision to take your next step in faith and growth with him. Every day is a decision that Jesus, today I chose you because you have already chosen me. We all have a step to take. Maybe your step is a step closer to Jesus. Maybe your step is a step into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe your step is a step to bring someone with you to find him. So the question, it's in your notes. Who can I invite to meet Jesus? We all know somebody. Somebody who knew him, who walked away, who didn't really understand, who maybe hurt a little bit when they were growing up and got hurt by the church and walked away. We know somebody who needs to know Jesus. Who can I invite to know who Jesus is and then to meet him? All of eternity hangs in the balance. Think about it as though someone's life depends on it because it does. What if, church, what if just, just one person that God has put in our life we pursued, we prayed for, we invited them in, we invited them to join, and we asked them to know Jesus? What would our world look like? What would Kokomo and our community look like if each one just reached one? I mean, that's doable, right? Like each one, we reached one. Each one of us, we intentionally pursued one to, to teach them, to show them, and then to escort them, invite them. Bring them into a relationship with Jesus, which means number three isn't the end of the road. Number four is the other invitation, inviting yourself in. And that, I understand, sounds a little creepy, so let me give some context. Uh, One of my favorite stories in the Bible, maybe because it was probably the first story that I think I learned in the Bible, was found in Luke chapter 19. It's about a young man or an old man, depending on how you interpret it, named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Apparently he was um, vertically challenged tax collector who really had heard some things about Jesus but didn't know him and wanted to get to meet him. So scripture tells us, Luke 19, that that as a tax collector, like Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner. Like tax collectors in Bible times weren't just sellouts to the government, but like they were responsible for collecting taxes for the government and then inflated them to make their own income at the same time. So you can imagine very despised. Jesus is entering into Jericho and made his way through town and Zacchaeus, shorter guy, wants to be able to see what's going on. So he climbs up into a Seek him more tree. Come on, church, get it right. I seek him more tree where he can see Jesus. Verse 5 says, when Jesus came by, he looked up in the tree and he saw Zacchaeus, called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Like, it's not really like culturally accepted. Like, my kids do this all the time. Hey, can we go over so-and-so's house? And we're like, you don't just invite yourself into someone's house. But Jesus kind of twisted that a little bit. He's like, listen, I'm coming to your house. If it would have been our house, we would have been like, we didn't clean. You can't come over. <laughs> but he invited himself in to Zacchaeus' house. Verse 9, he says this. Jesus responded. They have this whole conversation. Zacchaeus realizes Jesus approaches him with grace. Listen, I've done people wrong. I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. In fact, I'm going I'm to take what I cheated people out of. And I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. He has this whole change of life, change of heart, change of mind. Verse 9, Jesus responds, salvation has come to this house. It's interesting that Jesus went to his house and then brought salvation into his house. Salvation has come to this house today. For this man showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus came to seek and to save all who are lost. Jesus came for the lost. To seek and to save. Whose whose house do you need to be a guest in today? And maybe maybe there's more of a metaphor there than actually like, can I come in? Maybe it's whose life do you need to invite yourself into? 
maybe in the relationships that you have, maybe in the context of relationships that you have, God has placed you in a place where he's asking you to, to invest in them. Invite yourself in. Walk alongside them. Whose life are you speaking into? I think as Christians, maybe we could say it like this. Who, who can I disciple? Paul uses this really good illustration. He, he says, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm following Christ. So follow me as I follow Christ. Look, I'm, I'm not there. I haven't arrived, but I can help you get a little farther in your faith. Who can I disciple? Who can I grab by the arm and help take some steps towards Christ? Because I'm pursuing Jesus, and I might as well take somebody with me. Who, who are you inviting yourself into? Who's, whose life are you inviting yourself into? Man, it's such a, a powerful, incredible, meaningful step. This is where we are, church. If we want to fire on all cylinders, listen, if God only had you on this earth for the intentions of meeting Jesus and being saved, wouldn't he just scoop you up the moment you put your faith in Jesus? But we're still here. God's got plans for us. And I think part of this plan is following Jesus, follow me as I follow Christ. Who can I disciple? How do I teach? How do I reach? How do I disciple the lost? Reaching the found, discipling the people that need to take a step. The people have another step. I have another step, part of my step. It fits into the mission to where we started this series off. Each one of us, called by God to meet people where they are and help them take their next step with Christ. We have a next step. You have a next step. I have a next step. Peter, scatterbrained, ADD, my guy, Peter. Peter writes in another letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This is, I think, where I want to leave today because I think once we understand this point, then all these other points, they fall into place. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Peter says, listen, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. That's a great personal question. When you know why it is that you follow Jesus, when you know why it is that you show up for church and you sing your praises to him, when you know why it is that you feel compelled to pray to the God of the universe, when you know why it is that you believe then you get like the overflow of like life that came through my Savior, and I want you to know about it. Listen, I was addicted. I had habits, I had hurts, I had hangups, and Jesus set me free, and I want you to know about it. Listen, I was on a path with no purpose. I didn't know why I was created, and then Jesus spoke into my heart, and I understood the purpose that I have, and I want everybody to know this experience, this purpose that they have as well. Listen, I was on a path to death. And Jesus spoke into my heart and said, I've got more for you. How about some life? And it changed and transformed my life. When I know the reason I have this hope, and I can put that in this little consigned heart of mine, it overflows. It's not to check the box of going to church. It's not to show up more Sundays than my neighbor. It's not to, to get through this religious practice. It's because Jesus has changed me, has moved me from death to life, has restored my life, has restored my soul, has brought me into relationships with people where I'm going to grow and be challenged. And when I know why I've settled on Jesus is my Savior, the invitation overflows. I just want people to know what I know. I, I may not know it all. But I want people to know what I know, that Jesus is good, that God's the creator of all things, that God loved me so much that he gave, that this is too much, too good to keep secret, that this is too important to keep to ourselves, that this is too big a deal to be okay with just keeping it here, to go and invite people, to, to welcome people in with open arms, 
to walk along beside someone, to grab them by the arm, and to help them take their next step. And church, when we do that, we fire on all cylinders. People come to know Christ. Lives are changed. Eternities are changed. Great things happen, all for the glory of our great God. It's too good not to share. Let me pray with you. God, that's our prayer today. God, reveal to us the people that you've strategically placed in our lives who need an invitation. An invitation to hear about you, an invitation to gather with believers, an invitation to to put their trust and hope in Jesus, or an invitation just to grab them and take their next step with you. God, in those opportunities as they open up this week and in the weeks to come, God, give us the courage and the boldness and the eyes and the ears to see the opportunity, to seize that moment and to truly be your hands and feet. God, those times where we missed it, where we ignored it before, God, we ask for your forgiveness. But God, we believe that you're a God of second chances and we know you've got another chance for us to invite someone in, to invite someone to join me, to invite someone to join Jesus and to know you more. God, we thank you for those opportunities. We thank you for the trust that you have in us to carry this out. And God, we know we couldn't do it without you. So guide us, lead us, and give us the strength. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.